Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Today is November 14th, and we are recording episode number 447, where we're talking about Azure DDoS protection. Um, we're joined by our special guest, Amir Dehan. Um, but before we get to Amir, uh, Sajid, uh, looks like you've got some news in here today. I do. Uh, thanks, uh, Evan. So there's three updates I'd like to share. And of course, we have many updates announced this week, but these are three that caught my eye. The first one is with regards to uh, Azure Fronto. We did talk to Abhishek last week on Azure Fronto a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the updates uh, announced here is the uh, access to Key Vault using managed entities, right? So typically, Azure Fronto has to get to Azure Key Vault to obtain certificates to do what it normally does. And in the past, they've had to use AAD principles and whatnot. Now they just set up the uh, managed entity, and it's a lot more easier for administra administrators to handle. Obviously, a much more secure mechanism. The sort of you know everything gets uh, rotated, secrets get rotated automatically with managed entities, and I, I, I believe everybody should be using managed entities going forward. So, so that's available in the premium and standard SKU. Another bunch of updates came up with uh, Azure Machine Learning. Uh, we haven't talked about that in a while, but they've announced a whole bunch of uh, new features. The ones that I liked are the scheduled auto start and auto shutdown of compute instances, just to keep your costs down so that as you submit uh, these jobs uh, to do the training or the inference, it will automatically start up your compute instances and then uh, shut them down. If you've got custom configurations for your compute instances, maybe you have some special uh, machine learning libraries, et cetera, that you have to set up or, or, or and things like that in your instances, that used to be a little bit of a headache to, to configure beforehand. Now uh, it's an easier uh, process to uh, start up these uh, customized compute instances. And uh, the two that I really like are the fact that now, AutoML can be used uh, for uh, image uh, analysis. So you could write a bunch of images and it will use AutoML to create a computer vision model that you could just use without writing much code. And uh, similarly, for text-based analysis, they have AutoNLP, which actually I have not uh, heard that feature before, so I have to dig into this. But uh, AutoNLP obviously will take your sampling of <coughs> text um, text data and uh, create models, not only in English, but 100 la plus languages. So this can support uh, many, many uh, different uh, regions around the world. And finally, uh, for VMSS, uh, you know, the trusty old uh, virtual machine scale sets, uh, they have come up with some uh, enhancements in the advisor that uh, is used to monitor VMSS. The advisor when our stock system, price tanks, we're blaming you. So you uh, exactly, you're yeah, <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's nice that you know you you set up a VMSS with some uh, SKU or that this this many instances, and you really don't need that many yeah. instances. So yeah. it kind of monitors to see how many instances you're actually using and tells you, okay, maybe you can uh, reduce the number of instances or even just scale down the SKU that you're using. So you know this way you could further save costs. So those are my updates. Yeah, I, I think the the cost one, I, I you know I joke you know, but but at the end of the day, this is one that I see I don't see customers use enough of. 
right? If you just bring your on-premises workload to the cloud, you build the same VM, you know, it, it will cost you more in the end. But the ability to scale in and out, scale up and down, right? It, 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 that's really where the power comes from, for sure, right? Because you can optimize your, your capital expenses against, I'm sorry, your operational expenses, not capital, your, your OPEX against your actual business cycles, because nobody's business is flat all the time, right? Everybody's has some sort of cycle. So yeah, you know, I joke, but that's a, that's a great feature. Um, so, so with that, let's, let's um, transition over to Amir. Amir, if you could introduce yourself and tell us what you do here at Microsoft. Yeah, definitely. So uh, thanks for the opportunity. I'm Amir, Amir Dahan. I'm uh, part of the DDoS uh, PM team, uh, working from ILDC, Israel uh, Development Center. Uh, I joined Microsoft like one and a half uh, years ago, and I'm uh, driving some of the new uh, feature uh, releases uh, for the DDoS. For and and y'all just had a bunch of, I mean, there was a huge announcement a little, what, maybe a month or so ago, right? I think that might have triggered some of this conversation. Um, you know, what, talk about, you know, sort of talk about, what, Let's actually, let's back up. Before we get into some of the features and stuff, let's start with the basics. What is DDoS? And and. Why do I like? Why do I even care? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that DDoS, unlike other uh, security threats, DDoS is uh, about making sure DDoS protection, right? Is about making sure that the availability of the application is maintained. Because what bad actors try to do with DDoS, they actually try to kill the application, take you down, basically, right? Take it down, right? by sending a volumetric flood of, of uh, network packets, either layer three, layer four, layer seven, and by that kind of uh, making the application unresponsive uh, and render it unavailable. It is, it, so, so I think um, uh, this is probably something I wanna, I wanna hit this early because I hear a lot of customers who are confused. There's, there's DDoS for Azure, right? There's sort of a base level of DDoS that we have in the platform. And then there's DDoS as a feature. Um, and I think y'all just recently renamed um, some of the, the capabilities. But 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 I think, you know, talk about what, you know, when a customer, it sounds like they should, when should they be thinking about using DDoS? When should they, you know, actually enable the feature versus leveraging what the platform provides natively? Because I see a lot of customers, I, I think, make the mistake of assuming that if the platform's protected, that means their workload is. And, and it's not. It's not quite that simple. Exactly. Um, actually, um, the DDoS team, we have like two roles. The first one is to protect the platform. Yeah. And this is what we call DDoS infrastructure protection, where we make sure that Azure stays up and running and can serve its customers. On the other end, the detection triggers we set for the platform protection are that I that most of the common DDoS attacks targeting applications are below those triggers and they bypass the infrastructure protection uh, uh, service that we offer uh, as a free tier, which makes their application vulnerable to DDoS attacks. And this is why any application running in Azure should enroll to the DDoS service. We have like two SKUs that we'll obviously discuss, but they can have it like more cost effective or very high end and that will make sure that their applications are protected. How do you know um, what is the right, how do you know what's the right level, right? Because you, I mean, I, I guess out of the gate, you don't know what my application does. You've got to watch it for a little while to figure this out, right? I mean, there's some tuning that probably gets involved in the end. 
Exactly. With Azure Data SKUs, where customers um, enroll to either of them, we have like what we call auto-tuned engine that is based on machine learning algorithms that once the service is enabled to protect the customer application, we will learn the traffic patterns for the customer as well as the posture of the application. So we'll take into consideration not only the traffic volume in peacetime, but also how many compute resources are being used by the application in peacetime. And by taking these two inputs, we will come up with what we call DDoS detection triggers to make sure that once there is an anomaly in the traffic patterns or once there is a DDoS attack, our mitigation pipeline kicks in and the attack is really mitigated. So, Amir, you know, DDoS, uh, I, I, as a concept, I like the way you explained it, but it, it means different things to different services, right? So like a DDoS, let's say, con connecting to SQL, maybe different from a DDoS connecting to a website. In uh, one level, they're all a flood of traffic, but the actual uh, kind of uh, protocols, et cetera, are all different for all these services, right? Uh, a streaming service, uh, et cetera, you know, could have a different, like a more like a connected uh, stream of messages, et cetera. So when you talk about protection, is there like some kind of blanket uh, level system that is in place or is it like do you have actual individual uh, modules or features for each of these services that are targeted uh, to them? Yeah, so essentially we, uh, first of all, there are like tens of DDoS attack vectors, right? First of all, I would say there are like two main groups. The first one is what we call volumetric DDoS attacks. These are typically carried over layer 3, layer 4, but also layer 7. We have like HTTP floods. We have uh, DNS reflected amplification attacks that are being used by exploiting some uh, vulnerabilities in how DNS is, is structured uh, to be able to uh, create large floods of DDoS from only a few uh, DNS requests. And this is the first group. The second group is what we call low and slow. These are DDoS attacks that are not volumetric in nature, but can easily consume enough CPU resources to uh, render the application uh, um, unavailable. And for example, uh, like uh, we see uh, SSL handshake attacks, right? So for example, when an attacker opens an SSL session with a target, uh, let's say, web application, it can renegotiate the SSL key. And by doing so, which is you know, uh, a Dependent. compute intensive task, they can actually uh, consume enough CPU resources to uh, make the, the application unresponsive. So this is like the two groups of DDoS attacks and we have different mechanisms to protect. So first of all, on the volumetric part, we do have um, uh, a lot of mitigation techniques specifically tailored to the exact attack vectors. So for example, if you have uh, like um, uh, a TCP SIM flood, TCP SIM flood is uh, typically used by spoofed IP uh, sources. And the way to mitigate it is to employ layer four uh, handshake or challenge request or authentication on the source. So if it's not responding, we know it's a spoofed IP and we kind of mitigate future packets coming from it. And on the other end, 
those low and slow attack vectors require a totally different approach to mitigate the attack. And this is the approach we are taking by employing our WAF service to be able to mitigate these kinds of attacks on web applications post SSL termination, right? So we have a lot of um, a wide spectrum of mitigation techniques to be able to mitigate any such attack vector. You, you know, as I, as I listen to you talk about all the complexity with this, you, you need to be looking at the different types of attacks and the, the, the bad actors are always, I mean, they're, they're sharp people, unfortunately. It would be nice if they weren't. Um, but, but you know, you have to take a, take sort of the source in, into account and then you have to take the destination into account. And you mentioned that we're using machine learning to do this tuning. As I listened to you describe that, that sounds like this isn't something I can just go push a button today and I have protection in, in place immediately. It sounds like this is something I should be doing uh, ahead of time, you know, before my, you know, work, maybe maybe not before my workload goes production, but obviously, you know, as it's going production, I want to have this on early in my life cycle. Is, is that right? Or, or can I just, you know, go out right now and push the button and I'm protected, you know, across it, all the vectors? It's right uh, to a certain extent. So once customers enable leaders protection service, the auto tuning engine will actually take some learning time to, um, uh, to see and learn the traffic baselines as well as the uh, posture of the application itself. To, in order to uh, be sure that our uh, DDoS policy is set correctly, we can work with customers upfront to uh, create customized DDoS policy specific to their needs before the auto-tuned engine set the triggers by, by, uh, by itself. So getting humans in the loop to some extent to, to do exactly. that, okay. Exactly. Okay. No, so the the very nature of anything that is auto tuned or, or or ML tuned. I'm not an ML. I know you guys are all the ML experts out there in your in your area, Amir. But uh, it's often not 100% correct, right? The 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 machine learning uh, uh, algorithm may not get every uh, uh, may not get every uh, attack, or sometimes it might uh, it might uh, flag uh, something that is not an attack as an attack, right? In which case, that might result in traffic not reaching uh, the target application, which might leave the developer or software in the application owner wondering what happened to my traffic, right? And I'm just wondering, like, how 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 does that play in here? Like, oh, does that am I does that never happen? Is it so is it so well tuned that that never happens? No, obviously, there it's not 100% bulletproof, right? I mean, any automated um, algorithm mechanism is uh, is prone to some uh, uh, some mistakes, and the way we try to kind of minimize uh, those mistakes and specific to DDoS, I would say that uh, we want to avoid or to minimize the rate of false positives. So for customers, it's not only enough that you mitigate the attack. If you mitigate the attack and drop 100% of legitimate traffic, you did nothing, right? You actually were subject to this <laughs> attack, the purpose. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So what we try to do is to minimize the level of, of uh, false positives. And, and for us, we have like uh, several layers of uh, ways to minimize that. First of all, on the detection pipeline, I mentioned like uh, learning the traffic baselines, but not only that, also the uh, the application uh, compute posture. So these two inputs provide 
quite good um, uh, estimate of how a normal traffic baseline looks like. But on top of that, even if based on the auto-tune triggers, there is a traffic anomaly and we kick in the mitigation pipeline, which means now the traffic goes into our uh, mitigation uh, uh, pipeline in Azure, it doesn't necessarily mean that we start dropping the traffic. We do implement additional layers of um, uh, techniques to minimize uh, uh, false positives and trying to lower the number of packets that are legitimate and, and being dropped. And uh, uh, for us doing so, I gave you the example of SYN um, uh, authentication. That is an example mechanism of how, how you can do, do so. But we plan additional items in our roadmap to be able to minimize false positives as as uh, as we plan our next you know semester uh, work, work items etc so what i would say to uh, bottom line for us it's uh one of our main tasks and it's also a big ask from our customers is to try and minimize indeed false positives and we do it both on the detection pipeline as well as the mitigation pipeline thank you what What's so, you know, we talked about protecting um, the resources and talked about, you know, turning on the capabilities and tuning it. Um, well, let's sort of talk about the resources that I can protect. Am, am I protecting um, a, a workload? Am I protecting a VNet? Am, am I protecting an, an IP address, a DNS name? Like, what are my, what are my options there? Okay, so <clears throat> uh, Azure Data Service actually protects VNet resources that are associated with public IPs, okay? So okay. any resource within a VNet uh, with which a public IP is associated, first of all, is subject to DDoS attack. Second, we can, we can protect it, right? There are some other services which have uh, partial uh, support or lack of support, and we work in our roadmap to, uh, to uh, close those gaps. So for example, app services, they enjoy our platform leaders protection, what we call the infrastructure protection layer, which is there to protect all of uh, Microsoft online services. But Azure uh, customers want to purchase our DDoS queues and enjoy the auto-tuning mechanism, the dynamic DDoS policies, analytics, logging, et cetera, et cetera. Currently, they cannot do that because there is uh, a limitation on our ability to protect up services. And there are um, a few other uh, pass-based services that are partially supported. Uh, and for some of them, we do have a workaround. Like, uh, for example, if you want to protect app services, you can put, uh, you know, an app gateway with mm -hmm. WAF enabled, for example, in a VNet that, uh, you know, it's fronting the app service application. And then by protecting the app gateway uh, public IP, you enjoy uh, DDoS protection for uh, uh, for this application. Okay. And, and can I do, you know, let's say, I mean, this is a little bit made up because, you know, like you talked about, any public IP is subject to attack. But what if I have a, a VNet where I only want to protect a single IP address? Can I do a single IP address or a single DNS name? Or do I need to do everything in the VNet? What kind of granularity? Because DDoS is not free, right? We won't sort of get into the costing here. But but if I'm trying to optimize sort of my spend versus my exposure versus my protection, can I can I get down to that granular? 
Yeah, it's it's actually a great question because I have a very good answer. <laughs> One of the recent announcement was about uh, releasing what we call DDoS IP protection skew, which is exactly targeting this kind of you know conflict because up till now customers who wanted DDoS uh, uh, protection could have done that by protecting their all VNet, including all the public IPs that that, that VNet uh, has, and it's costly, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, we noticed that many of our customers are actually, even if they use like tens or hundreds of uh, public IP addresses, they want actually to protect less than 10 in many cases. Okay, sort of the key okay? pieces maybe of my app at the exactly. end of the day, okay. Exactly. More, more than that, we know that SMB customers are, you know, price sensitive, and the current DDoS uh, uh, fee is uh, uh, very expensive for them. So for that, we created the IP protection skew, which means that you can select what are the specific IP addresses that you want to protect, and you enable DDoS protection on a pair public IP resource basis. So I can I can be very granular then in terms of what I want to want to protect at that point and, and optimize my my spending. Okay. Right. Exactly. And and Amir, from a from an application developer perspective, I like to always ask this question of uh, of our guests: uh, Is there anything we can do or we should be doing to work with the DDoS uh, protection service? Is there like a, a handshake of some sort, uh, something that we can do as an application developer to make the applications, uh, you know, uh, more um, Easy to maybe train, or maybe easy to uh, to for the DDoS service to to protect. Yeah. So, so first of all, there are like best practice uh, uh, ways of you know building applications that are robust, uh, scalable, and and also uh, offer good um, uh, posture against uh, DDoS attack in general. But I would say that on top of that. Um, any customer that want to make sure that his application is is protected and is enrolled to one to either of the uh, DDoS uh, SKUs that we have can approach us and we offer what we call DRR DDoS Rapid Response. With DDoS Rapid Response, we offer 15 minutes SLA to uh, assist customers. So if they have like uh, you know a special event when they uh, suspect that uh, abnormal traffic patterns will reach their applications, we can uh, discuss with them make sure review their policy and if needed we can fine tune it and also if uh, customers now um, uh, you know bringing new applications up into into service and they want DDoS protection for them we can work with them uh, and this is to minimize the time span that it takes to the auto tune uh, policy mechanism to get aligned so yeah they can work with us there is no specific handshake mechanism that uh, that uh, we developed uh, till far. The only exception may be uh, the special integration we have done to protect gaming applications. So we have partnered with uh, um, uh, a third-party uh, vendor that offers a DDoS NVA in the marketplace that is integrated with the new gateway load balancer. And this NVA offers uh, what we call uh, watermark authentication, where gaming clients, where they approach the gaming server, they kind of put uh, a token within the packet, which is known to the NVA and to the application server. And this token is rotating. So we will actually uh, inspect any packet to make sure 
that the valid token is there and only good packets will be uh, allowed into the application. So these are uh, things we're going to continue developing for, for some of the specific workloads. What, what, is it, what is it about gaming that, that makes it sort of special in this context? Is it the low latency or like, I, I've not, not heard of this capability before. So now I'm, I'm sort of really technically intrigued on what's <laughs> driving that. Yeah, so, so uh, first of all, I would say that uh, gaming are very sensitive to DDoS attacks. I don't know if you had a chance to uh, YouTube and just, uh, you know, search for DDoS attacks on gaming uh, servers or okay. something along these lines. You will see a lot of clips where gamers are, you know, frustrated about being uh, lagged and, you know, delays and their uh, actors are not responsive. And I think that uh, one of the main reasons for that is the architecture of the gaming server. Typically, you no know, gaming application doesn't have to be very large. Doesn't have yeah. to use you know scale sets and and things like that. It's it can be a, a single process serving like five ten users concurrently, and it's it doesn't have to be very strong one. Right now, imagine that one of the players will kick in like I don't know. 500, 1,000 packets per second flood into this uh, process, it will essentially kill it. So this is why gaming applications are very sensitive to these attacks. And there is uh, importance. I, I think that all gaming vendors are really sensitive about data attacks and they look for uh, uh, correct, for good enough solutions. And indeed latency is one of the issues where, uh, for example, they cannot use uh, third-party cloud security services. Uh, right, because you know, like, the additional uh, latency you get with that, yeah. Due to the latency that will be added, like one minute, one millisecond latency matters. is not good enough. It's, it's, it matters, right? Interesting, interesting. Okay, great. Um, well, you, you know, Amir, um, thank you very much for joining us. Any any last, you know, sort of comments or, or, or things, uh, you know, concepts you want to leave the audience with? I mean, this has been a great intro. Yeah, uh, so... What I would like uh, the audience to take out of this uh, uh, podcast session is that DDoS service is of essence to any application running in essentially any public cloud, let alone in Azure. And we have uh, the uh, correct product that can support our customers with protecting uh, themselves against DDoS attacks. We continuously invest in this product to make it better, more comprehensive, and all customers are highly encouraged to uh, enroll to our DDoS services, and we'll be happy to support them and offer our services. Great, no, excellent. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think you can't reinforce that message enough that you should, you know, if you've got a public endpoint, at some point, they will come for you. Right. Exactly. And so better better to be better be prepared than unprepared. Um, exactly. So. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Great. Sajid, any last questions from you? Uh, this has been great and quite eye opening actually in terms of the you know, the the amount of uh, DDoS attacks that can be uh, sent by the bad actors and how I think you know we we assume that the the, the standard DDoS service in Azure is. Is good enough, but obviously there is a second layer that uh, we need to be also uh, concerned about. I, I I think I don't I don't normally sort of take this approach, but I think that's the one piece that I see customers make the mistake all the time, right? That is yes, we want to protect our customers, but at the end of the day, those levels I think Amir, you said it really well. Those levels are high enough that they're really about protecting the platform. Most workloads will have fallen over way 
before that. So I, I see a lot of customers make a mistake assuming that's going to protect their workload. And unfortunately, they find out the hard way that it that it doesn't. So, you know, again, pick sort of the right skew of DDoS, but you should definitely be checking it out for, for sure. Um, it won't put me out of business. There's plenty of other broken things out there that I can go hang exactly. out with. <laughs> okay, awesome. Great. Thanks, folks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Amir. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.